If you've ever had a job interview or conducted a job interview as a leader, you know the job interview has more than one purpose. And part of that purpose, just one element of that purpose, is to really try to get some insight into the person that's potentially a candidate for a position on your team. Now, if you're the leader, your your job, your role in this interview is to ask the questions that would lead you to believe whether this person is a good fit or a destructive fit. Will they be productive in the team or will they bring drama to the team that the team doesn't need? Will they be a bonus, an addition, an upgrade to your skill levels or will they be a distraction? And it's the job of the leader to make that decision, to make that assessment, to have enough wit about them, enough education about them, enough insight about them as to who the players are on the team, not just the job function, your your resume bits match, match the job description bits. So of course, that part's important, but is your personality going to fit with the personalities that are already here? Will you replace the person who's left or at least fill the gap that's left behind? Will you get along with the people that are here? All of these are questions that the supervisor, the leader, the HR person, the hiring manager needs to be willing to ask. And it takes courage sometimes to ask those questions, especially when you're an HR person or hiring manager and the person you're hiring has a lot more skill, experience, education than you do. But that's exactly what I want to talk about today on Leading Leaders. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. And if you've ever been through a job interview, I remember a job interview that kind of started like this. I'm driving to my job interview. It's about 75 miles from where I live to the job interview. And as I'm driving, I've got on my best suit and my pink dress shirt and my tie. And I'm about 20 minutes early for my job interview. Even though I've never been to the city where the interview is going to be, I know there's going to be a little bit of challenge with it, but I'm going to get there. I'm going to pull this off. And as I'm driving to the job interview, I see a lady on the side of the road with a flat tire. Well, she's all dressed up and she's stranded with a flat tire and I pulled over to the side of the road, I took my coat off, I took my tie off, and I changed her shirt. Or changed shirt, I didn't change her shirt. I promised I didn't change her shirt, I did change her tire. I rolled up my shirt sleeves so not to get my pink shirt dirty, but I had tire dirt and wheel dust all the way up both arms. Well, with no place to stop and now running out of time, I made it to my job interview as fast as I could, realizing I was almost half an hour late. As I walked in the door, I went straight to the receptionist. I said, I'm here for an interview. I've got my coat over one arm, my tie over the other. Both hands are filthy. And I said, is there a place I can wash up before the interview? And the lady looks at me, looks at the list of interviews for the day, finds my name and says, you are half an hour late. Why would we even want to interview you at this point? I said, that comes with an interesting story that I would be delighted to share if you just give me a chance. And if I share my story and you're not interested in interviewing, I will leave and not bother you again. Well, I got the interview. The boss walked in, the hiring manager. She said, I I, got to hear this. I want to know what this is all about. Her boss came in and their boss came in. 
So I'm now doing the interview, not just with the hiring manager, but three levels of people want to know what makes me think that I deserve to have a job interview that I showed up to half an hour late. And so I said, I'm late because I saw a woman on the side of the road and I've been taught all my life, if you can help, you should help. If you can help, you must help. And I realized that I had a job interview and I was going to be late, but she was on her way to a job interview as well. And I had the ability to help her. I also know that I have higher ability and this is not the only job offer that I have or the only job interview that I have lined up. And the reality is, if you look at me and say, your punctuality to this interview is more important than the character that would cause you to stop and help somebody else, I'm not interested in working here. On the other hand, if you're willing to say, I like the character of someone who would stop, go out of their way, and risk their own job interview to help a stranger, then I want to work in a place like this. If that's the character you want, that's the character you find in me. Now, we can talk about job skills if you want me to stay. I got the job. I worked for that company almost 10 years. The question that every leader's got to ask is, if you found yourself in the same position, how would you decide if that person belongs on your team or not? That's really a tougher question than you think it is because it's not just a question for the job interview. It's a question for relationships. It's a question for marriage. It's a question for dating. Believe it or not, it's a question for who you hang out with. You've probably heard me say right here on this podcast, you will be. And this is not my word. This, this has been repeated for decades, a century or more. Napoleon Hill discovered this to be true. Uh, James Allen discovered this to be true. Charlie Tremendous Jones used to say it all the time. You will be like the five people you hang out with. If you show me the five books you've read and the five people you hang out with, I can tell you what your life is going to be like. The five people you choose to hang out with. You better pick those five people pretty well. There should be an interview process, not just the fact that we were in proximity to each other. We, we got hired at the same job. We went to the same school. We lived in the same zip code. We grew up in the same neighborhood. In fact, I saw just this morning on a very short clip, it was on a Facebook reel, so I don't know if it originated in TikTok or YouTube or something else, but Snoop Dogg actually used an illustration just with his hands, and he said, look, here's what happens. You grow up with your buddies in the hood, and then suddenly you get an opportunity and you raise up. And then you become a little more successful and you grow up. And then you move on into life and you've got responsibilities and you've got jobs and you've got income. And you've got people who count on you to succeed. But your hood buddies, they're still down here. He said there's two ways to close the gap. But one is for you to go back to what you came from. The other is for you to wait for them to catch up. But if they can't close the gap, sometimes all you can do is say goodbye. Now that's a hard one. To acknowledge, but it is a powerful and absolutely essential truth. We should decide who's involved in our life, who's going to play on our team. Remember the old days in, in school when you had to decide if one team captain would pick the best player? And of course, if you're doing basketball, though, we start with the tallest one, right? I was always short and fat. I didn't get picked first. Then they saw me dribble and I didn't get picked at all. They were like, hey, why don't you stand there and throw the ball back if it goes out of bounds? That was my job in picking teams of basketball because I suck at basketball. It took me a minute to learn that. But when I learned that, I realized people weren't judging my character as to whether or not I belonged on their team. They were judging my talent. 
Oh boy, that's huge, isn't it? What if we made all of our decisions about who was part of us based on whether we like them or not? Well, of course you can pick a lot of people you like, but that doesn't mean they're going to be advantageous to your team. You can pick a lot of people just so you can be kind, but that doesn't mean they're going to be advantageous to your team. You might even pick people because they've got incredible talent. Terrell Owens. But a horrible attitude. Wait, same guy. Terrible, terrible attitude, but a great talent. Phenomenal physical ability and agility. But horrible to manage. Do you want that kind of person on your team? Of course they can be productive, but they're also destructive to the team. Is that where you're going to decide? See, the, the challenge that we find is that this doesn't stop in a team of three or four or five. It doesn't stop when you magnify that to a company, let's say a franchise company or even a big corporate office. I don't care if you're a company the size of a local steak and shake or the size of an enormous Chick-fil-A or a large global corporation like Coca-Cola. Who's on your team makes all the difference in the world in your productivity? Do they think like you? Do they behave like you? Do they share the same core values as you? Now, the larger your team gets, the harder that gets. The more diversified your team is geographically, the more diversified the team will be in personality. When you have a global corporation, you're going to have global personalities. Who's at the top and what filters down is still going to be very impactful in their lives, but the way one office operates in Singapore will be completely different than the way it operates in, say, Connectedy or Syracuse. Why? Because the people there are different. The community is different. Their values, a little different. The way they do things, how they talk to each other, it's a little different. Take them to Kentucky. Take them to New Mexico or South Texas. They're all going to be a little bit different. The way they do things, the way they talk, the way they interact, the things they hold valuable, going to be a little bit different. And that's okay. That diversity is good. That diversity is an investment in your organization because it allows you to operate at a high level with great talent when they fit into the culture around them. The challenge we find in a lot of places is this forced idea of diversity. We want you to be so different that there is, there is no sameness, and that really doesn't work because birds of a feather tend to flock together. So do people of like culture, like values, like natural affinities. They, they want people around them that get them. And that becomes a challenge when you expand beyond even a multinational corporation and, and ask about a nation or a globe. It's been true from the dawn of anthropo anthropological studies that people tend to migrate together not because they're told to, not because they're forced to, but because they share a common language or they share a common interest. If you look back over the earth, you find that there are communities around the world from the dawn of human history where farmers gathered together with, figure this out, farmers. How weird is that, right? Those who raised sheep, they kind of found that there are certain places on earth where raising sheep is a whole lot easier than other places. Those who tend to camels, again, they... They tend to gather together where the camels are, where the camels thrive. The same with cattle. The same with birds, with fish. It's strange how cows don't spend all their time in the creek unless they're thirsty. It's weird like that, right? Sheep don't tend to run up and down city streets. And, well, some places in the world they do. But generally speaking, they want the grassy fields.
The goats, they want the mountains. They want to go as high as they can and hang off a cliff where it looks like they're about to fall to their death. But that makes a goat happy. It's their natural environment. That's been true of humans as well. Cultures migrate together because they have similarities, likenesses, ambitions. Not because they're forced to. But when you start to force migration, when you start to force the movement of people, when you start to force people into a company, into an organization, onto a team, because it suits you and not them or their culture or their core values, you have a whole new set of problems. It kind of goes back to that whole question of standardized testing. If we give everyone a test on how qualified they are to swim, all the birds are going to fail. It's just a true story. If, if we give a test based on the qualification of how good you are at flying, all the fish are going to fail. It's just a fact. Will they get along, the fish and the birds? Well, probably not, because birds tend to eat fish. I guess if you're a big fish, maybe you eat little birds. I don't know. Never seen it. Could be true. But what happens when you cross those cultures like that? Do you enhance the culture of each of them? Or do you not? See, that's the kind of question that a leader ought to be asking. A leader should be asking in the interview, in that first initial meeting, are you a fit? Will you benefit our organization? Will you bring something new to the table? Even if your culture is a little different, even if your ways are a little different, even if your personality is a little different, what do you bring to the table? And then you're going to have to also ask the question, to what extent will I go to make sure that you get on the team or to make sure that you don't? Right now, there's a big push to support Ukraine. And the cry is, the Ukrainian people deserve to have their peace and their prosperity and have it not be invaded. They deserve to have their borders protected, their language and their culture protected, and not have it overrun. And I have to ask the question, if you took the word Ukraine out of those statements and you inserted the name of your organization, or Texas, would it still be true? That the people of XYZ company or XYZ team or the people of Texas deserve to have their culture protected, their borders protected, their way of life protected, their peace preserved. Would the statement still be true? And if so, then to what extent would you go to see to it that it happens? Would it be a no-fly zone? Would it be millions of dollars? Would it be a billion dollars? I believe is the latest number that I've heard. A billion dollars to provide the defense for this way of life. Would you invest a billion dollars to protect your way of life, your cultures, your values, your way of doing things? If you were a fish, would you spend a billion dollars to make sure the people that surround you or the critters that surround you are fish and not bears? That would be a decision that you would have to make, but it's going to take courage as a leader to stand behind that decision to say, I know it may be unpopular, but if we want to see this culture maintained, we want to see it survive and thrive, then we have to defend it. We have to protect it. We have to invest in it. What will make it better, even if it's a little diversity, salmon and catfish together in the same river? Seems okay. Salmon and bear? Probably not so much. That's a decision that you have to make as a leader. And if you don't have the courage to step up and say, that individual is not going to be a good fit. That process is not going to be good for our team. That will not bring a productive long-term outcome. In fact, I think that individual being a part of our organization could become destructive and not productive. If you don't have the courage to do that, step aside and let someone lead who does because you're not solving the problem. You're part of it. Now, this is a tough lesson for leaders. If you've ever managed a team of any size, 
You know it's true because you've had them, you've brought these people in with a phenomenal resume to later find out that their character is horrible and what they put on the resume is probably not true anyway. They're not as competent as they sold themselves to be. Or they've got a great personality and they're a phenomenal communicator which sometimes can make them a great liar and they have none of the skills necessary to do the job you've hired them for. At what point do you throw the bear out of the river versus leave the bear there to destroy the river? Again, that takes courage. And if you're a leader with, worth your salt, you've got the courage to do that. That's my challenge for you today. Ask yourself as you lead, your family, your community, a small team or a large team, a multinational global organization, or a small city. When you're talking about a company coming to town and you're looking at economic benefits and tax purposes, is this a good fit for your community? I mean, if somebody said, I'm going to bring $50 million worth of sales to your organization, but you never asked them how much fentanyl they're going to bring into the organization as well, is the dollar worth the destruction? Is the dollar worth the damage? That's a question you've got to ask. And it's a question as a leader you're responsible to answer. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.